0: Yeah, the well, Bible wants you open to Philippians chapter one, please. Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-two through twenty-six. The message entitled "To Live Is Christ." Paul gave the Philippians um, his missionary update and the confident assurance that his present imprisonment and trial before the imperial court of Rome would result in. His release and freedom. Now, in verses 19-21, to Paul explained the outcome of his trial before the imperial court, revealing three things. Paul knew that the present circumstance would result in his release in verse 19. Paul knew that in nothing he would be disappointed in verse 20. And then Paul knew his life commitment in verse 21. Now his concern was only in glorifying God in his body, he said, be it by life or by death. Notice Paul did not focus on death as some form of escapism, but only as God's final dealing with us on earth in order to see him face to face. Having ended with the statement For to meet, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Notice the emphasis of Paul is on life, living, not death. Very important. And so Paul now, in verse 22 to 26, he proceeds to reveal that, that to live is Christ means three things as he describes them here. Not that they're exhaustive, but he puts these three things. Let me read verses 22 through 26. He says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for my coming to you again. And so, Paul here reveals what to live is Christ means. First, to be an instrument of God. Verse 22. Second, to be in a spiritual dilemma. Verse 23 and 24. And then, to be a benefit to believers. Verse 25 and 26. First, to be an instrument of God. Look at verse 22. The Apostle Paul indicated that while... He was in his physical body. He would be used by Jesus. Simple. It's not that complicated. Listen to his words. But if I live on in the flesh. The contrast between being alive and dead. The word but. Contrast in conjunction. In the previous verse Paul describes the two contrasts. Paul said, For to me... The live is Christ, and the die is gain. There's the contrast, verse 21. Now notice the medium that God uses to manifest life is our bodies. The word flesh, again, like we saw last time, is used in a negative way often in the scriptures um, to describe and connote our sinful nature. The negative also communicates our dependency on our own abilities rather than God. This is a simple practice. But the word flesh is also used in a positive manner in the scriptures. The positive connotation deals with the physical body. Every person has a body. When a baby is born, little body comes forward. It's a human uh, creation that God made for us. So that we could communicate, we can manifest ourselves in this world. And the physical body is not sinful in and of itself. In other words, the physical aspect is not the problem. We need it to manifest our words, our actions, and our deeds. And that's how we know what we're doing. But due to our sin nature, the body is used for sinful practices by those not born again and disobedience by those who are born again. This is our body, and our sinful nature manifests itself through our bodies. Paul is describing his life in Christ, in his physical body that has become the temple of God now. So as he's using it, he's using it as a positive way by which God is going to be glorified and used to communicate in yielding to the will and purposes of God and obedience to the Word of God to reveal Christ in him to the world. Paul wanted to magnify Christ, remember in verse 20, in his body by life or by death. Now, notice the Apostle Paul indicated That while he was in his physical body, he would continue to bear fruit for God. When we were in the world, you and I manifested works of the flesh. Most of the things we did took life from people and ourselves. It wasn't for the best of us. Now, we call a lot of things fun that are really destructive in the world. We did a lot of things that weren't very edifying and and very helpful to people. But yet, in a twisted way in the world, that's the way the world functions. Here the Apostle Paul indicated that he would continue to be used by God in fruit. Listen to his words. This will mean fruit from my labor. Paul, in his use of the word fruit, is not referring to his own personal development spiritually here. The reference is not to growth, development, and maturity in Christ Jesus. The context is foreign to that interpretation. Paul, in his use of the word fruit, is referring to being used of God regarding the gospel, regarding the kingdom of God. For preaching the gospel of salvation to sinners. Praying for those hearing the gospel. Praying for the repentance from sin by those who are actually hearing and responding to the gospel. But also for teaching the word of God to saints. You've got the saints and you've had the ain'ts, okay? And before we were apart from Christ, we were ain'ts. And then God made you born again. Now you're a saint. Now, the Bible does call us saints. He says to the saints in Colossae, the saints in Ephesus, and that's okay. You start calling yourself Saint John or Saint Mary or whatever, then we're gonna have a problem. But we understand what the Bible's talking about, okay? And uh, and many of us who are ex-Catholic, we we understand that because they canonize certain people as saints in the Catholic Church, and I never could figure it out because then some of them get kicked out afterwards and they find out, so I don't know. Um, To the new believer accepting Christ, ministering unto them, to the maturity of the saints, to the full stature of Christ. But also for defending the faith against deceivers. All of this is fruit. Against the Judaizers, as Paul confronted all the time as they chased him around trying to... um, Proselytize the converts to Christ. Against philosophers of his day and religious people, even as he went to Mars Hill and the Epicureans and the Stoics. Against those who would um, attack and defame the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ as Messiah of God. Wanting to make him just a prophet, a good man, or a great teacher. But... If you don't acknowledge him as God, the uh, God-man, the Messiah of God, the incarnation of God, then whatever else you believe he is, it's worthless. He is Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. But also against those attempting to corrupt the gospel, who at times are deceived themselves and believe they're doing a, a service to God. Paul thought he was doing a service to God when he killed Christians too. He was dead dead sincere. He was absolutely sincere. But he was sincerely wrong. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 4 through 5 and 16. The vine, the branches. The easy illustration, a plant, uh, that branch has to be attached to the root. To have life, to bring fruit. And if we're not attached to Jesus, if we don't maintain that fellowship and that union with him then we really are trusting in ourselves and producing um, the only thing we can't produce, uh, that which is no good. Only God can produce what is good in me and through me. Now notice Paul, by his use of the word fruit, also implies God would reward him one day. The word labor, ergon, means the business employment or the thing one is occupied in or exerting oneself. The reward would involve that it was a genuine work of God. He directing it. In other words, he's the captain of our salvation. He gives us the orders. We obey him. He opens the doors. We walk through them. He tells us, go, and he enables us. The reward would also involve the motive of agape love for the work of God. So that we do what we do because we first love God and then because we love those who are lost or those who are saved. Whichever one he sends us to at the time. Now, Paul used the same word for the labor of love. The Philippians has sent him a financial gift in chapter 4 verse 17. Same word. Nothing that I seek He says, not that I seek to give, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So I'm not seeking for you to give me money, but if God has led you, what I'm seeking is that it be attributed to your account in heaven, and that God reward you for your generosity, for your kindness, for your act of love. That's what he's saying. Paul expressed notice his desire to have some fruit among the Romans, When he arrived there, when he wrote to them in Romans 1.13, he wanted to teach, he wanted to go there often. He was uh, hindered, and finally he got to go. But he went as a prisoner. Paul had a different idea how he was going to get there. God had the right idea. (laughs) He was going to go preach to Caesar and to Nero and to the Imperial Guard. Now, this implies a personal recognition of what God has called him to do. This provides confidence in God. This makes a person accountable to God. And this means a cost of time and commitment. You cannot be dedicated, faithful, and loyal without time and commitment. It's impossible. Now notice still in 22, the Apostle Paul declared God was the one to decide on the matter. Yes, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Paul stated that he was not making his own mind known regarding this matter of life and death. The word tell means to He could not reveal, declare, or determine that. Linsky, the scholar, Greek scholar, says, I am without cause of knowing. That's how he translated. And then he says, The thought is nothing has enabled Paul to know just what to prefer for himself if he had the choice. Notice he saw himself as belonging to Christ. For every decision, every area of his life, every situation that would come into his life, he considered himself a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he opens the epistle in chapter 1, verse 1. And a prisoner of Jesus Christ by the word chain that is found throughout the first chapter 1, 2, 3, 4 times, verse 7, 13, 14, and 16 in Ephesians 3 1 and 4 1, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ. In Philemon, three times, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ. It's just, he never considered himself a prisoner of Rome. Remember, we've already seen it, that Paul was there by appointment, right? This was his next assignment. Now, notice Paul mentioned confidently God would allow him to be released. He already stated that. In chapter 1, verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers in the supply of the Spirit of Jesus. And we saw how that works in a way that only God knows, how God is directing through the prayers of the saints, and oftentimes the answer comes because of those who are praying. And we pointed that out when we went through that. Now, he would also state... This two other times. He'll do that in verse 25. As we'll see. And being confident of this. I know that I shall remain. And continue with you all. For your progress and joy. Of faith. And then in chapter 2 verse 24. But I trust in the Lord. That I myself shall also come shortly. An instrument of God. And yet he's in (laughs) prison. I just got a letter this morning from. One of the prisoners that listens to the radio broadcast and stuff like that and and I wrote him back and how God is using him in the prison there and you know he's growing in Christ and everything. Amazing. Another mother just read me a letter too as I was up there grabbing a fast bite. How her son's being used in the prison and he knows he's being used and he's sharing Christ with others. Amazing. The Calgary Herald carried the following headlines, which attracted uh, attention. Fishermen just watched as youngster drowns. Listen carefully. The story is as following. Nine-year-old Jimmy Wilkinson was playing with a pill when he fell into Lake Ontario. And all people could do was stand around, said uh, Diane Reed, 15. They could have saved him. At that time, about 20 men were fishing for smelt. They had nets and everything else, said Diane. A man had a pole and poked around for a while. Then he went back to the fishing. Harbor police, who recovered the body six minutes after they arrived, said someone should have made the effort to help the boy, but no one did. They just stood around and looked. They did nothing. Such is the case with some Christians who refuse to be used by God as his instrument. Every time you walk by a person who is not born again, that's little Johnny there. They're perishing. And we need to understand that. By one vote, Oliver Cromwell one control of England. By one vote, King Charles was beheaded. By one vote, France changed from a monarchy to a republic. By one vote, the Continental Congress during the American Revolution declared English to be the official language of America instead of German. By one vote, Hitler became Germany's leader. Do you think you're insignificant? I don't think so. You're very significant in the kingdom of God. And God wants to use you as his instrument. Too many Christians underestimate the value of their involvement in the things of God as God's instrument. Ephesians 210 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. should will we walk in them? It all depends if we seek him. doesn't say He forces us to walk in them that we might walk in them. First Thessalonians one two to three says we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in your uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and the Father. The Thessalonians were commended by Paul for their labor of love, faith, works, all of that. They were young church, a suffering church. 1 Corinthians 3, 7, Paul was very aware that at times some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. So it's not a matter of comparing ourselves among ourselves as we be unwise. It's not a matter of competing against oneself. It's a matter of doing what God has called me to do. And then God will take care of the kingdom. This hand has always done what it's supposed to do. It's never gone on strike. My feet. Every part of my body. Just think if you're, uh, one of your legs took a day off. What what happened? Or just decided to sit around. Hmm. The reality is that being an instrument of God will cost you. Your priorities are different. Our concern for parting all the time is now a thing of the past. Now our concern is to pray, to preach the gospel to sinners. That should be the heartbeat of our life. The need to be always going away on weekends, as many of us used to do. We used to live for that. I mean, if you had a trip coming, come Monday morning, man, that was the first day of five long days. And Friday, man, that was long Now we are concerned about growing in Christ and serving the Lord, hopefully. Nothing wrong with going away on a weekend. But, you know, in the world, you're at the river every weekend, every week. Out dirt riding or whatever your little specialty is. The desire to be with the in crowd is no longer the goal of our lives but rather to be one who is not a respecter of persons and that we're there to help and to meet the need and to share the love of Christ. The will and response of God is your and my main concern, not the things of the world any longer. Not that they don't have a tug on us, not that we're not uh, distracted, but we have to bring our thoughts in captivity. We have to um, keep our eyes on Christ and remember who we are. First Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Not one thing is in vain that you do for the Lord. And let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may be, may not be unfruitful. Titus 3.13. Think of the people who have been an example to you since you've come to Christ after this manner. They've made an impression in your life. So to live is Christ's first means to be an instrument of God, to bear fruit. Second, verse 23 and 24, to be in a spiritual dilemma. The Apostle Paul, notice, declared his dilemma between two things. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul revealed he was torn by these two alternatives. For I am hard pressed between the two. Paul has mentioned these two things already in verse 21. Life is to allow Christ to live in and through us. Death is to be released from his, this body and gain the benefit of being in the presence of Jesus Christ. This is communicated by the phrase, I am being hard-pressed between. The Greek word means to hold together with constraint. This was his conflicting dilemma. But not that he could make the choice, God decides when his life would end. It's a conflict, but he doesn't make the choice. It's a dilemma, a tension, but he doesn't make that choice. Rather, these two options are the two spheres of life every believer will experience. Here, as an example of Christ, and there in heaven, in the presence of Christ. Every one of us will experience Right now we're experiencing the first. The second we will experience when we give our last breath. Now, notice the word was used for a traveler in a narrow path. We've talked about this before. With a wall on each side, unable to turn, but only go straight. Constraint, it keeps you straight. Once again Paul cannot decide. That is done only by God. The Greek has the definite article we're told by the scholars here, the two giving confirm emphasis here on the idea that strong pressure was upon him from these two alternatives. Paul here declared his own desire, notice, if he had a choice on the matter, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, he doesn't make this choice, but if he had a choice to choose, okay, this is what he would choose. The word having is a participle, present, active. To us, most of us, doesn't make any difference, but when you look at the text, it does make a difference. The Greek scholars tell this indicates the case, the possibility of dying as if it were a minor thing. The reason is, is a minor thing is because it is his own desire, not the will of God at this time. You understand? My desires are a minor thing. God's revealed will and purposes there's a superior in the priority thing. There's a distinction. The personal desire refers to the craving and the longing that would be far better bringing a greater benefit to him. But not for others. As the next verse clearly states when we get to it. Because Paul would be Instantly present with the Lord, as we said last week in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. You have this tent that's temporal here. You have the other that is eternal in the heavens. The many you're out of this one, you're in the other one. You're never found naked. Because Paul would leave this present evil influence of the world and enter perfection First John three two everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Because it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but when Christ appears we shall be like him, we shall be exactly as he is. Now the word depart means to loose or untie. The word is a euphemism for physical death. And Paul defines what he means by the word depart. Look at it. And be with Christ. That's what it means. To depart means and be with Christ. The word comes from a military term, to strike camp, taking down a tent. The word is used of the unmooring of a ship, taking up the anchor. The word is used for our soul journey and pilgrimage in Hebrews eleven thirteen. The word is used by Paul when he was going to be put to death in 2 Timothy 4, 6, when he says, my departure is at hand. Remember the message I gave, exiting triumphantly. (laughs) Look at 24. The apostle Paul declared the higher... Priority of the two alternatives. Listen to his words. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul revealed his life commitment to the will of God. If death is to be his lot at this time, he's not sad. He will not complain. He embraces it. If life for a while is to be his lot, to be here a little longer, he was ready for the next assignment. Wow. So notice Paul revealed the priority is for the needs and the benefits of others rather than his wants or ours. Not that Paul could choose at this time again. As we have stated, God decides the time of our death. He was willing to postpone heaven for a while for the benefit of the Philippians. He was willing to be a curse from Christ for the Jews in Romans nine three. Wow! I won't go to hell for any of you. I haven't gotten there yet. Paul says, I wish I could be a curse for my brethren, the Jews. Wow. Amazing, man. Paul again refers to life in his physical body, the word flesh. Again, the context means the earthly body in verse 22. And the word body in verse 20, soma, indicates just the physical body. That's the instrument. Paul revealed the more important at this, this, confirming the higher priority is more needful for you. This is more needful for you. This is the higher priority. The phrase more needful means what one cannot be without. Indispensable. The necessary. The word appears several times in the New Testament and, and the word is used in various ways. And the two alternatives are in sharp contrast notice. The better of departing to be with Christ would benefit Paul. The more needful to remain would benefit the Philippians and others. Much like a person who represents a government in a foreign land. And he's serving there. At first, he misses his own country. After a while, he acclimates and he kind of gets used to it. But it's still, no matter how long he's there, he still has a longing for home, right? In fact, he'll pick up newspapers back home or hear some news because his heart's still back there. This is the same with Paul. Now, the dilemma of wanting to be present with Jesus is... Normal, not abnormal, bearing witness that we belong to God. I mean, did any of you want to be with the Lord before you were born again? (laughs) Not at all. I wanted to be at a party or, uh, you know, or something else. Jesus has given us this longing and desire to be with Him. It is God given. Jesus is preparing us for the ultimate step from our earthly life to our heavenly abode. In fact, first Thessalonians four sixteen through eighteen says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, the bodies in the grave. In the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The desire to depart should not be only when things are going wrong. This is important. Otherwise, it's revealing all we are interested in is in escaping our responsibility or problems. And refusing to be light and salt to this world, which is lost. But it's also refusing to be transformed and empowered to deal with life victoriously and triumphantly. But remaining carnal and self-centered. I'm to increase, to be more like Jesus Christ as time goes on. I'm to obey him more. I am to... Seek Him more. Now, nobody grows straight up, but just make sure you're going forward. Okay? And that's important. Listen to what Paul says in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 16 down to chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction... Now, this is Paul writing, okay? He was uh, stoned many times, beat with rods in the, in the deep two, three days after whatever. All these things, he says, it's a light of, uh, of affliction. Um, our man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light of affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal. But the things that are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Do you believe this? Before I was a Christian, I wasn't sure. I was hoping, I was crossing myself. I was doing all kinds of things, but not, it wasn't I know so, it was I hope so. The desire to depart should never be interpreted that Christians can commit suicide. I make this point because this is very touchy today with our society. Today, suicide and euthanasia are considered viable options. And some who say they are Christians go along with these. These are totally contrary to the Bible. There are five occasions recorded of suicide in the Bible. You have um, Saul, his armor bearer. You have um, Zimri, uh, one of the kings. You have Ahithophel, and you have Judas Iscariot. Five individuals, none of them were right with God. And I point this out because there are pastors on radio shows and everything that kind of just give a pass to Christians about suicide. Let's get straight on this. This is a pagan practice. This is a practice of those who have no hope. Christians... Have the greatest hope. All right. Not only that, but Galatians five twenty one says, "No murderer shall inherit the kingdom of God." If you kill yourself, your life does not belong to you. What are you? You're a murderer. It's real simple. Okay, God decides when He takes your life. No one else. To believe that you um, are a prisoner in your body. And I think I mentioned this last week. I don't know if I mentioned it in Texas. But I'll tell it to you. Is a mistake. Even if. Let's just say back in 2001. February the 2nd. When I got hit on my heart. And let's just say I would have died. From my broken neck. I would have been present with the Lord. But let's take the other twist around. That. Through my broken neck, I would have remained a quadriplegic. Would you have believed that I was a prisoner in my body? Never. I'm here by appointment. God will use my life in whatever position it's in and situation for his glory. I have no right to take my life. I am not a prisoner in this body. I'm here by appointment. That's a Greek concept, not a biblical or a Christian concept, but a lot of Christians are embracing it because of the relativism and all the situational ethics and the euthanasia that's already been practiced. Abortion's already no big deal. Now it's euthanasia. And people take it as dying with honor. No. That's murder, as much as abortionists. No different. Now, precious is the sight of the Lord, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalm 116 15 says, God values your life. And when God is ready to take you home, it's because he values you so much, he just says, I'm going to bring you home now. But he's the one that doesn't. To the rich fool, he said, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you, Luke twelve twenty. The desire to depart should not become a distraction to my service. We are to be seeking the Lord Jesus for his will in our lives constantly. We're to be asking Jesus in prayer to guide, to direct our steps in life forever. Every decision a job, house you're gonna buy, the car, should you buy it? Who you can date, who you cannot date, who you're gonna marry, where you're gonna send your kids to school. All areas, everything. Or to be more like Jesus. Listen to Philippians, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Philippians chapter two, verse five through eight. Can't wait to get that passage. It's a great passage. So to live as Christ means to be in a spiritual dilemma. (laughs) It's intention. It's balance. Thirdly notice, it's to be a benefit to believers, 25 and 26. The Apostle Paul revealed in 25 here, He would be around to help the Philippians to grow spiritually. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy of faith. Paul was sure God was going to permit the more needful rather than the far better. Notice the contrast. The word for confidence means to be induced to believe. The tense is the participle present Act of literally having been persuaded of the word this is a pronoun singular neuter referring back to the more needful thing. This is the more needful thing that he's talking about. Okay. The way Paul knew this with such confidence is not revealed to us. It could have been by the results of the first appearance before the imperial court, things that went on there. Or it could have been a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Or it could have been both. We don't know. He doesn't tell us. Notice Paul was sure he was not going to die, but remain in his physical body for a while longer. He knew it intuitively, the word to know, oida indicates this. This was his continuous understanding by the indicative present active tense. He knew this. He knew he would live by the phrase, I shall remain. The tense is the indicative future active. Not only from that point, but forward. He was in his physical body and would continue To be so. But notice he knew also that he would be released by the phrase and continue with you all. The tense again is indicative present active. Paul would see and be with the Philippians again. Paul was with them now by letter, but he would physically be with them again. And he understands this. Then notice Paul was sure he was going to be used by the, for the purpose of God to further instruct them spiritually. He says, for your progress of faith. The one article here connects both nouns, progress and joy. As we notice that in verse 19. The word progress means to advance. The same word that is used um, to reveal the furthest of the gospel in verse 12. And we stated there that it is used of a military expedition to remove obstacles, to cut down force beforehand so that when the army comes, it can follow through and make advancement towards the enemy. This is the word right here. The context is for their spiritual growth, their development, their maturity. Progress of faith. That article binds both nouns. Objective truth. That's what the word faith is. Not subjective relativism. That are subjective regarding Christ. There's a lot of that going on. People say Christ is this, Christ is that, but it contradicts the Scripture. That's objectivism. The Bible is propositional truth, objective truth. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's an objective truth, not an opinion. Not an idea. When the Bible says, all have fallen short of the glory of God, that's an absolute objective truth. Not a guess. But notice he also says, enjoy of faith." The joy is gladness over the progress in their faith as they advance in their spiritual understanding of the word of God. How parents, what a joy it's in the parents when they see their child grow physically or mentally or whatever it is. And we should be the same with those who grow in Christ as they come in and they just get born again. And we see them growing and we see them involved and we see God using them. What a joy it is. This joy is of the Holy Spirit over the confident, objective truth about the things, the will, and the purposes of God. Stop and think how much God has blessed you to learn and to grow about the Bible and about God, about sin, about everything from when you first came to the Lord. You don't say, well, I think this is what the Bible says. You you say, the Bible says. The book of Romans says. Genesis tells us. The book of Deuteronomy reminds us, warns us. Objective truth. Notice Paul. The apostle who revealed the proper perspective was to glory in Jesus, not him. Verse 26. That your joy, rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So Paul is saying that their grounds for boasting should be Christ, not the instrument, Paul. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ. The danger is always in boasting or glorying in a man, the vessel God is using for his glory. We are impressed with man's abilities to teach. We're impressed with man's ability to to minister to people. We get impressed with man's ability to preach the gospel and to see people come to Christ. But we're only to glory in Jesus Christ. The word rejoicing means um, that of which one glories or can glory. The word appears 11 times in the New Testament. Four times it is translated rejoicing. Three times glory. Two times glorying. One time boasting. And one time rejoice. Here in the context, it's boasting. The boasting and glorying for Paul should always be tied and related to Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. The increment of glorying is to always be greater in Jesus than any person. And when there's a sense of appreciation of a person as a vessel, the glory is still in Jesus, not in the person. The phrase abundant simply means to exceed a fixed number or measure. The God-man, the incarnation of God... Is the person of Jesus Christ, he's the one that is always to exceed in ascribe glory, not man. And how often people give more glory to a man than to God. How often men are more committed to a pastor than to their Lord Jesus Christ, to a church, to a movement, or whatever it may be. That's absolutely wrong. It's idolatry. Paul is referring to the time when they would see him again by my coming to you again. The word coming, parousia, means presence or arrival. He had founded the church, as you know, the second missionary journey, Acts 16. He made a second journey to Philippi about A.D. 55-56. On his third missionary journey in Acts 20, 1-6, he must have passed twice on his upward trip towards Corinth and again in his return at the time when he was on the way to Jerusalem in Acts 21. The date now is 60, 61 AD. He would soon be released. At this point, it's about 10 years after his first visit. So he's known them for 10 years. When you know somebody for 10 years and you've you know, you 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 built a relationship with them. There there's affection, there's there's longing, there's appreciation. The same word is used for the first and second coming as well as the rapture. Matthew twenty four twenty seven, First Thessalonians four thirteen, and others. Parousia. Paul loved the Philippians, and they loved him. They couldn't wait to see Paul, and he could not wait to see them. This would be a joyful reunion. To the glory of Jesus. Absolutely. So Paul is saying that God will use people to bring glory to himself. To himself. Paul said he became all things to all men that he might win some. How long do you think you have to live? What's the remainder of your life? Are you using your time to benefit the body of Christ? Christians? People you love? Are the things that you are doing that are not wrong in themselves, but they're not really main priorities where you are in life right now? Be it because you're a new believer or be it because you've been in the Lord so long and you have so short time left. Do you um, take the time to fellowship with Jesus in the Word? Just to wait upon Him. Just to listen. Ephesians 5.16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Colossians 4, five says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time outside of the non-believer and the time evil to perspectives how many of your decisions are made in view of benefiting others when you make decisions for your wife or your husband are you the one that receives the greater benefit Say, let's go out to eat we're going to go here and everybody goes Okay. I don't like it. But that's yes, your favorite place. You know we've all heard it, you get in the car you say, Okay, where well, are you gonna go with? Nah, no, we don't want to go there. How about you? Nah, we don't want to go there. Okay, well, where are you gonna go? I wanna go. Okay, let's go. Why well, give him a choice? When you decide to go on vacation, who receives the greatest benefit? when I want to do things is it always to my convenience or others do I, do I count the cost do I sacrifice do I extend myself do I, do I serve people you know to give money is no big deal but when someone comes over and helps you put up a garage door and someone helps you put a new lawn in They take time and effort and sweat and tears. You appreciate that. Somebody just give you money, I appreciate that. That means nothing. Philippians 2, 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Have you been used by Jesus in the past and present? Have you ever witnessed somebody, brought somebody to Christ, taught a Bible study, discipled somebody, prayed for somebody and see God heal them? I hope so. Listen to Paul. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some of honor, some of dishonor. Therefore... If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Remember, if anybody's glory, I'm going to glory, glory in the Lord. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven to 31. And no one else. And so to live as Christ means to be a benefit to believers. Three simple things, Paul says. Where is he writing from? Prison. Paul has revealed what to live as Christ means. To be an instrument of God. To be a spiritual dilemma. And to be a benefit to believers. Simple things. On paper. (laughs) That's why we have to abide in Christ. And look to him. Father, thank you for your grace, your goodness. We thank you for tonight, and we pray, Lord, you will continue to deal with our hearts. We love you, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're here tonight for the first time. Maybe you've been coming for a while. or Maybe you're over the Internet. If you don't know Christ, if you've never repented from your sins, then God has brought you here to be saved. To hear the gospel, that Christ alone is the one that can... Save you from your sin as He took your place, as He rose from the dead, and He alone can breathe life into you. A simple prayer of repentance is what God requires if you agree that you are a sinner, rebellion against God, living your own life, and that sin will have to be accounted for before Him, either upon His Son for the forgiveness or upon your own person to give that account the much better is to fall upon Christ and have him forgive you if this is your desire this is a prayer of repentance you want to accept him, this is your prayer to him not to us and he's going to forgive you right now Father I come to you in Jesus name I ask you to forgive me Lord for all my sins give me a brand new heart Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.